Hello, Trombone Internet. This is Chris Van Hoff, assistant to the regional manager of the International Trombone Festival. We at the festival, of course, are huge fans of the pod, and we are really excited to invite you to attend this year's 2024 International Trombone Festival at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Dave Begnosh is our host. We have the world premiere of a brand new double concerto for trombone and piano with the Fort Worth Symphony. We have the American Brass Quintet. We have late night jazz featuring a Latin jam session. Like everything is happening, all the cast will be there. It's the best hang in the world, and we hope to see you there. You can register for the festival still online at www.internationaltrombonefestival.com, and it's happening the last week of May. So go register. We'll see you in Texas. Welcome to the Trombone Retreat, podcast of the Third Coast Trombone Retreat. Today on the podcast, we talk to Justin Clark, soloist and bass trombonist of the Baron Symphony Orchestra. I'm called Sebastian Vera, and I'm joined as always by Nick Schwartz. Happy almost New Year's, my friend. I'm I'm excited, man. We got Santa coming down chimneys. We got Hanukkah Harry coming out of the Hanukkah bush. It's it's all happening, bro. Who's who's Hanukkah Harry? I don't think I'm acquainted. Well, he's like Santa, but he's younger. He's got a brown beard, and he delivers for eight days. Think about that. He's got eight times the job as Santa. That, that's a that's a big job. That's a big responsibility, especially during this this Arctic freeze in the United Arctic States. Arctic blast. Apparently. Oh, Arctic blast. Oh, my bad. Mm-hmm. Which is also what they call it when a Yeti farts. Okay. So yeah, it's I'm 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 home in Texas and it's 15 degrees, which isn't crazy for most people. And and for our European listeners, that's Fahrenheit because we're in a, we're we're savage Americans. But 15 degrees in Texas is like everyone freaks out, lockdown central. But that's um, like Tuesday where you grew up. <laughs> yeah, this is uh just a little too cold for barbecue weather in, in Michigan, but you know, you, you might throw on pants in 15 degrees, you know, but definitely flip flops still. <laughs> so we hung out with our friend, Justin Clark and Justin's doing all the things, you know, he, he does everything really creatively and artfully and with class and he's just a, a real talent and he's our, he's our hang gliding friend. Really, really cool to hang out with him. And he's also our squid friend. Oh, that's right. And he's a squidman. He comes. From, he actually does come from a long line of squidmen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this inside joke will never die. Nope. As you'll hear, Justin and I went to school together, and that's where we. Where was that? Uh, the Juilliard School of Wizardry. Oh wow! You got to talk about Juilliard again. Wow, and the okay. janitorial arts. Yeah, J- Justin and I. That's where we became good. I didn't say there's anything wrong. You can go to Juilliard wow. for it. Wow. That's where we kindled our friendship, and it was pretty uh, fast, hot, and heavy friendship. We got along very well. One thing that was evident from day one with Justin is uh, he's a very special player. And on top of that, he's a great guy. Just a really, really sweet dude. Yeah, he's, he's our American friend living abroad in Switzerland, so he talks about his unique life there. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks to our Patreon patrons. We have our live after hours this month with David Bender of the Detroit Symphony and our permanent guest host, Alexis Smith, with Nick and I. 
it's been a lot of fun doing these these live hangs. So sign up on patreon.com slash trombone retreat so we can all hang out and have a holiday beverage. Uh, Nick, and me, Nick and me. Oh, did I say Nick and I? Mm-hmm. You did. Isn't it? Why is it Nick and... Because if you took out the the third person, you would say, hang out with me, not hang out with I. Okay, I'm just going to trust your, your Juilliard English education. No, the, the, my mom was grammar police, and anytime I used the wrong version of that when referring to a third person and myself, she would always correct me, so now it's permanently stuck in my head. Welcome back to Grammar Talk with Nick and Sebastian and me. Gram Talk! And I. The Third Coast Trombone Retreat, our baby, will be happening June 19th through 25th, the 10th annual, with special guest artist Joseph Alessi and Jeremy Buckler of the Baltimore Symphony. Final deadline, March 20th. Apply by March 1st for the early discounted application fee. It's for anyone over 18 and pursuing a career in music. TromboneRetreat.com for everything you need to know. So, Nick, I currently have a problem that I wanted to talk to you about. Come at me. Okay, so our friends at Houghton Horn sent me this brand new Wiseman trombone case. It's, it's this maker in England that has been doing, they do high-end luggage. They've been doing woodwind cases for a long time. And they just started making brass cases, and they made this all-wooden one. And it is the classiest case I've ever seen in my life. He he sent it to me, you know, you know, we talk about it on the podcast to so try it out. I I'm I don't need a case right now. I I've I've like plenty of cases, and now I need this case because it's so sexy, it's beautiful, it's insanely protective, and the craziest part, even though it's insanely compact, is you can fit a straight mute inside. It's it's this unique thing. So go to houndhorns.com and you can take a look at it. But it's really compact. It's really light, but it's extremely protective. I watched this YouTube video where they submerged it in water and they did all these stress tests. They jumped up and down on it. They dropped it from shoulder level. They threw it downstairs and it was to- everything was totally fine. So it's extremely protective. It's light. It's compact and it looks good. And it has this cool leather music pouch on the side. And so now I'm like, okay... I guess I need this now. But it's currently on sale at HoutonHorns.com, so, so check it out. Yeah, that's the sort of case that you show up with, and after removing the case from your back, you have to unfurl your ascot. <laughs> it's classy. It's a class act. It really it really is. And, and uh, You walk into a gig, and everyone's going to be like, not know you're a trombone player. It's kind of like tubular in design, but oh, man, it's so cool. Yeah, so that's my current problem. Too many cases. More cases, more problems. Is that... I think it's a rap lyric. Is that a a Jay-Z song? Yeah. I will say the horn section at the Metropolitan Opera, they all have Wiseman cases. I didn't know they're Wiseman cases, but I've always admired them from afar. And I didn't know they made trombone cases until you got one. And I have to say the trombone ones are even sexier than the horn ones. Because the trombone is sexier than the horn, let's be honest. Because it's w- what's inside that counts. I believe they're, I believe they're ex- the exclusive dealer too, so go check it out at HoutonHorns.com. Enjoy this episode with Justin Clark. Nice to see you guys. You too, man. Deja vu. I know. <laughs> I know. So right now I'm kind of like... You know, I feel like uh, you look like you're in the basement somewhere. No, I'm I'm in my what? bedroom, but I feel like uh, I'm at like a ma- a makeshift journalist, like reporting from a like 
the front lines of war, you know, like <laughs> I have a temporary table in my room. You're in the barracks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Your fancy big headphones. Yeah, they're way too big. Swiss headphones. Has, no, has they're not the best Swiss. quality. I don't know what they are. <laughs> so, actually, yeah, I never use them. They're kind of like earmuffs. Wow. <laughs> Gotta get your hair out of the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a bassoonist in Phantom of the Opera, and she wears like the air traffic control. Uh, I've seen that. Yeah. Oddly like, enough, that was also another bassoon player who I saw doing that. There was there was a violist who did that when I freelanced in uh, San, San Francisco too. How do you how do you do that? How I don't. Do I, it, this person played kind of like straight out. It was really strange because I, I had the same thought. But this bassoonist, I, I don't know about the bassoonist that you're talking about, but the bassoonist and the violist I knew, not very enthusiastic about making music anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so those are the types that completely block out. Sound. Yeah, like like, like for gu- shooting guns and, and but, working at yeah. Carmax. I mean, it looks, yeah, it looks like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you see, yeah, you see on the airport, you know. Yeah. The so they're right. just, they're just playing by like vibrations. I, yeah. I think well, when like, you've played like Phantom for said, 30 years. Like, like they just don't, yeah, yeah, not very enthusiastic is a good way to put it. I think by, <laughs> I think by show like 4,000, you're, you're well over it. <laughs> yeah. Phone it, phone it in. Exactly. That used to, that, that always blows me away. I think it was, I heard a story about someone who did, I think cats or wicked or something, a woodwind player that had been doing it for like 12 years or something. And, and it never hundreds and hundreds of shows and never seen the actual show once from the, from the audience. Yeah. Right. I mean, what are you going to do? Like take a show off and go watch it? Yeah, I know, right? It just I seems get, crazy. I've never yeah. seen the Nutcracker from the audience. I mean, it's not the same numbers that they're putting up, but, you know, I, I play, it, they do it 48, 50 times a year at the ballet, or I guess we do it 48, 50 times a year. Yeah, right. Um, Actually, I don't know if you realize, but they all dress up like anime characters at the New York City Ballet and act out like a futuristic version. It's actually just hentai porn, right? Now you're going to you're gonna make Nick take a show off. He's going to have to pay for a sub to go out and check it out. He's going to be super disappointed when that's not the case, man. I know. Well, well, you know, it, I, I, I have this imaginary, I, I imagine this wouldn't be the case, but idea that if I were in Switzerland like you were, I could be paid for professional development to go listen to it from the audience. Oh, man. Yeah. This is, we're not living in future land over here where they do that, unfortunately. <laughs> They still they still make you pay to get off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Yeah, yeah. The grass is greener on the other side, but that we don't have. <laughs> yeah. So so we're from Rhode Island, right? That is correct. Uh it is it is a state and not an <laughs> you island. You don't meet you don't meet a lot of musicians from Rhode Island, which makes No. Sense well, I mean it's a small look, it's a small place, right? It's like uh I think there's a million people who live there. And all the musicians leave. <laughs> no, I, I think basically, yeah, there's, there's a couple of schools around, but you know, a lot of people, if you want to go to like a, a serious school and stuff, you move out of state, you know? And that's actually, I never thought about this. Uh, just out of curiosity. So, you know, you're obviously more limited than an average U S citizen as far as in-state schools. So, yeah, you have you have the University of Rhode Island, and then you have like Brown University, Providence College, and a couple of community colleges. You know, and the thing is, Boston is like an hour away. So, you know, in New Which York, has eight million schools. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
and and New York is three hours away. So everybody, if you're like, you know, it, there's like RISD, Rhode Island right. uh, School of Art and Design, School of Design. That's that's very famous, you know, and that's very good. And Brown is very good. But if you're not going there, chances are, you know, you're. That's probably the highest, like, elite university slash college per capita in the entire country. You know, Could with be. Brown and RISD. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Providence is sort of this funny little town. I don't know if you guys have been there. No. There was this, this longtime mayor of Providence. His name was Buddy Cianci. And he was like, you know, the FBI was... I think he was indicted, actually, on something. He was like, like a mafia, you know, friend. That's what I was going to say. There's a long history of mafia stuff in, yeah, yeah. in, in Providence. I know that. So, I, just, I just imagine the interrogation having, like, a lot of, listen, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> listen. Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this, yeah. His, I, I, I even forget what his real name was. Everybody knows him as Buddy Cianci. He just he passed away a couple of years ago. But, you know, one of these yeah, characters. But yeah, I mean, Rhode Island, it's it's a beautiful place. But yeah, music stuff, there's the Rhode Island Philharmonic. But I think a lot of those players live in Boston, you know, because it's not really a full-time gig. You know, so there's musicians around, but I, I kind of, yeah, was looking elsewhere and uh, got out when I was 18. So, you know, uh, I'll, I'll spare everyone my, um, my thoughts on Boston. But how many cities do you hate, Nick? Bo- <laughs> There's a, quite a list we're growing here. Boston's up there, though. I really hate Boston with like a really? very fiery passion. <sighs> I'm sorry to all of our listeners in Boston. Um, I like I, the, the odd thing is I have a lot of really good friends who live in Boston. So, I, but I, the place is just. In fact, I I tried to like it, and I I remember Daniela, my my wife was work, working there, and we were. I was there for like a week visiting and we were out to dinner and like in the middle of the dinner, I just go, Boston sucks. And she was like, right. <laughs> oh, it's like this epitome that hit me. I think you've got like a travel ban, a couple of places. Nick's going to, he's going to be like not allowed I outside of okay New York and Michigan. I think he's okay with not going to Jacksonville or Boston or LA anymore. <laughs> yeah. Th- those are the top three Jacksonville, LA and Boston. What, I, sorry, just, just for our listeners that are just like, why do you hate Boston so much? Why quickly? Why do you hate Boston so much? Um, I. Hmm. You can't just the cast food, the food sucks. Hmm. The food Ow. sucks. We don't like seafood, I guess. No, I mean, the, you can't rest a whole. Nick, the food doesn't suck, man. I mean, there's some good stuff there. I think the food. <laughs> That's a blanket <laughs> statement on the entire restaurant scene of a major city. Yeah. And people are like, well, have you been to this place? And then I go to this place and it's like, eh, like, okay, whatever. But it's like, it's as expensive as New York, pretty much. It, it, it's like the city that tries but can't. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to stand up for Boston. I mean, I know it, but I don't know it well enough to. I go back there. I fly back there now. I feel like a tourist. So right. I mean, the food's better in Boston than it is in like, you know, Michigan. Um, <laughs> wow. Depends on where, 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 like where I go in the summer. Yeah, True. definitely, it's yeah. better than that. But okay. Um, but Detroit, no, nah, Detroit's got better food because you got Lebanese food. It's so good there. Keep in mind that the last two major cities Nick lived in 
or New York City and San Francisco, arguably two of the best food cities in the country. So yeah, maybe yeah, his true. bar is just a little high. I mean, you said Speak. you said you hate L.A. I used to hate L.A. until I went there for like the seventh time because my brother lives there. Oh, okay. so I finally, finally started coming around on it. But maybe it's just like that Californian sunshine, you know. You know Spoil. what? It takes seven Spoil. times. Spoiled brats. Before we go further <laughs> into L.A., to me, it's like you talk about L.A. and it's really like like globbing together like eight different cities yeah true yeah. that's what i hate about it. it's like oh have you been here it's like well that's like how is that la like that's it's, it's that's two hours Monica. away from yeah that's yeah, another exactly. place yeah so it's just like i you know i don't know in, in la the traffic ugh, yeah that sucks oh okay. traffic the, the sunshine it's terrible are you gonna welcome uh, absolutely terrible. welcome 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 to our new podcast Nick hates cities. What places does Nick hate? <laughs> well, Jacksonville. I don't. I don't hear anyone standing up for Jacksonville. <laughs> I've never been, man. I can't. I, thought... I just thought of a new YouTube series where I just want to take Nick to places he hates and just like watch him complain everywhere. You know, I thought we went to Jacksonville together for that audition, Justin. I didn't. I never went down there. No, must have been. Must have been some other bald bass drum player with glasses. Well, I know Ben went, but he's not bald. He's not bald. Justin Justin only goes to po- to uh, auditions he wins, so he, he's not aware of those. <laughs> oh, that's not true. <laughs> that's definitely not true. Uh, I'm one of those one audition a lifetime guys. I work with a guy here. He, he took one audition ever, and he won it. And he's like, yeah, why, he why? Yeah, why? Why should I take any more? This place we is don't nice. like him. You don't you don't like uh, hating yourself and shaving years off your life by practicing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it, man. I, I love the, <laughs> I love putting myself under pressure and all the self-doubt and the stress. I love it. I can't, I can't seem to get enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, man. Anyway. anyway. Yeah. Spe- speaking of, speaking of great seafood, t- your, your parents worked related to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Um, gee, how did you know that? Um, I don't know. Uh, my father, right, so my father actually played trombone and uh, studied to become a music teacher in Rhode Island, at the University of Rhode Island, right, at this little school, which has a really teeny, teeny music department, and then was offered a job in the state and figured out that that job wouldn't pay him enough money to, like, really get by with the family, and then said he went, he he kind of gave up on being a music teacher and then uh, started selling fish. That's obviously selling fish. That's obviously what you do, you know. You know. Yeah, it's when a you're, clear when line. you're from Rhode Island, yeah, trombone or fish or what s- kind of fish? Squid, calamari. Which calamara? Yeah, yeah. Which goes, you know, it's the goes hand in hand with the mafia there and. Hey, try my calamari. You know, that's my my best, my best like Rhode Island mafia impression. Hey, Vinny, give me the calamari. Hey, buddy, try this calamari. (laughs) I I thought it had to be calamari. Oh, God. You You just, you just sound pretentious. That's New Jersey Italian. Yeah, the mozzarella, the bajou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-uh. When when you say your dad works at the docks, I mean everyone. You just assume that your dad works for the mafia in some quote capacity. unquote. Yeah, my dad works at the docks at night, unloading boats. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like season two of The Wire. 
Uh, he's yeah, he's got some. He's actually got some pretty funny stories about that. Uh, oh, I can only imagine fishy business. Hey, <laughs> I don't know if we told you our, our our new season of the Trombone Retreat podcast. Just to tap into the really popular podcast is half true crime, <laughs> half trombone. <laughs> yes, Let's see how many things I've smuggled in my trombone case overseas. Yeah. <laughs> A lot uh, of people have done that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, yeah. You got to take advantage of those giant crates. Yeah. 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 They don't check them. Well. So squid fishing. (laughs) I mean, how did he get into squid fishing? Well, yeah, I don't know. He was, he, he had a lobster boat and was running a lobster boat, um, by himself basically, or he had, you know, him and another guy and they had a bunch of lobster pots and were selling lobsters, right? Because that's also what you do when you're from Rhode Island. And then... I think he he realized that like that also kind of had its limits and it's hard work, really hard work, you know, going out on the water and dangerous too. And then he figured out breaking, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And like just, you know, there's always something to be done. You got to be up super early on the water hauling your stuff and fixing stuff all that, you know, something's always going wrong with the boat or the pots or the lines or whatever. And he put you to work earlier. I, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I think I was four. No, no, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but actually, yeah, that later when I have two older brothers and a younger brother, and we were all working as teenagers in the fish plant. But yeah. See, like four-year-old you, like, working at the dock Shh. as a fisherman, just yeah. like cussing up a storm. <laughs> just have a cigarette dangling <laughs> out of your mouth. <laughs> That's, I think when I went to university, that was... There was two things I lost uh, uh, pretty fast was the sailor's mouth and the Rhode Island accent because I was made fun of. So, oh, oh, sorry. It's got to go to outer connection space. is unstable. All right. Hey, we just had this idea that we should uh, only interview you in like seven minute segments over the span of like a decade <laughs> and then just like paste them together. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> but you need to do it with video and then you just see like, you know, the, <laughs> right. the, the wrinkles just, <laughs> the hair, the hair might stay the same. The hair, I think the hair is going to be the same. And Even I'll... if it goes completely gray, there's nothing to see here. I'm going to catch up real soon, but right now I'm sporting a sweet mullet. Dude. Nice. Yeah. That was obscured by the, the headphones. Yeah. Nice look, man. Got a neck warmer, you know, <laughs> you've trimmed, you've trimmed the beard though. You're ready. You're ready for like, well, this is actually mullet. for my current look. It's a little unkempt but from the pandemic it was much bigger mm-hmm. the pen- so, yeah. so we're in the middle of answering something i think we were talking about smuggling things in fish boxes sure but, uh, and then cal- calamari calamari yeah and uh, i said that you look like you were like swearing at the age of four so you're oh, you're, you're working yeah. when you're like a teenager so that i mean that's that's some hard work for a young person yeah we were you know <laughs> i think my dad just put us to work uh <sighs> It would save him money and it made sure we didn't get up to too much trouble, I guess. But, uh, no, like what part working of the, at 14, yeah. What part four. of the business was he in the, the fishing, the processing, the selling? Originally, yeah, originally the fishing, but then he moved to, um, packaging and selling it only the whole, wholesale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the boats bring fish to the fish plant. He buys it from the boats, pa- uh, uh, processes it processes it cleans it and packages it and then sells it nationwide or whatever uh, wow that's pretty 
amazing. I mean, someone's got to do it, right? Somebody's got to do it. It's, so like, it's a big, big uh, operation, actually. Yeah, in the sure. fish movies, like, he's the one in the fish movies. In the movies where you see fishermen... <laughs> In, in the little mermaid <laughs> i think um, i think you wouldn't see him in that no no but like i saw a regional like that it's it's the he's the type of person that the fishermen get mad at when he like starts lowering like the prices that's exactly that he offers yeah. yeah yeah there's a scene at like at the beginning of the perfect storm with all their fake boston accents yeah and they get mad at the guy because the price is low have you seen Coda yet that good Nuh-uh. no no so yeah. good so good. You might appreciate it. It's about like growing. It's like a person who wants to pursue music growing up in a, in a fishing family. Actually, it went off picture, didn't it? They're all, they're all deaf, right? Yeah. The, 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 whole, the whole family is deaf except the daughter. Right. Sounds like you're making this up. That's it, true. It, it one best picture. Come back to America. Things are happening. Yeah. We don't have TVs over here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's just Al Porns and, in Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I have played Al Porn over here. Oh, really? Yeah, Professionally? No, I was just messing around. I picked it up, played a couple notes, and then decided I don't want to do that. Uh, it's <laughs> it's weird, right? Dude, it's, it's, a, it's like, how long is the thing? Like eight feet long or yeah. more? Oh, and you think just... that's long? <laughs> that <laughs> is just, dude. <laughs> and you just like, you know, you stick some kind of mouthpiece in it and then just cack notes. You just miss everything. I mean, I can do that enough on my own instrument. <laughs> I, I don't need to play this stupid outboard. But I imagine it's pretty translatable, right? Like, is it pretty, can you bring yeah, the skills yeah, over? I, yeah, absolutely. Any, if you're a trombone player or a horn players play it, you know, it's, you just, um, you need to find a mouthpiece that sort of fits your face and you put it in there and just, you know. Miss you should, put a, you should put a signature <laughs> outboard mouthpiece line. Oh, yes. Corner the, of the market. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll work on that. Yeah. The Justin Clark signature signature outboard. That's a free. That's a free business idea. <laughs> sure, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> the next one will cost you. All right, all right. I got you, Sebastian. <laughs> By the way, with calamari. Uh, before we move on from back calamari, to back to food. I have is, to get this. this do you hate calamari why, too? This is this is why I'm here. Not well. I think I never try. I didn't like as a kid. I didn't try it. Right. The smell, probably right. Yeah, you see it all the time. You think, like, who the hell wants to eat this? Like, this disgusting little slimy thing. But actually, I do love seafood now. Yeah. So, I, I can't remember if it's Planet Money or Radio Lab, one of those NPR podcasts. They have this whole thing that there was, um, I don't know if it's still going on, but the market was being flooded with fake calamari. And what it was was pig buttholes i'm not making this up i swear to god <laughs> <laughs> what it was like the last i, I don't know if it was the do butthole it itself or like hey buddy the, try out try this calamari out buddy and okay. so the guy host, the guy hosting the show said they they went to like a some butcher and found pig buttholes like actually marketed at as pig buttholes or you know i'm sure they weren't i don't know maybe they were selling them but um they got their hands on some and brought it to a kitchen and breaded it and fried it because they were like is this true like is it could how could this be sold off as calamari and he describes putting in the oil and it goes in and it's really flat and it's not that ring shape that you would see in calamari and then after like 40 seconds it goes and it opens up into a perfect like calamari ring, <laughs> and then they ate it, and they were like, I, "That man, I think I'm never going to be able to eat calamari again. This is disgusting." 
<laughs> I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about this guy who oh. is like devoted his his business to like you know what there's there's a market for this someone's gonna want to buy these man and the, the price guy, did you see the price of pig buttholes man they're so cheap right exactly. now yeah. and someone came along one day he was like I'll buy all your pig buttholes and he just like went home he's like see mom you never believed in my dreams. <laughs> Why can't you just oh sell pork God. chops like a normal butcher? <laughs> oh, God. Well, yeah. Welcome back to the trombone retreat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, welcome to, welcome to buttholes and bones. Uh, so, yeah, topics, <laughs> topics covered so far. Pig buttholes and, and illegal things in fish boxes. All right, good. We're going to yeah. unveil the, the true crime in the <laughs> I think pig we got butthole it. market. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> So Syracuse, Syracuse. <laughs> right. Why uh, Syracuse? Why Syracuse? Yeah, good question. I mean, that's, um, that is a good question. Because <laughs> the weather's so nice. Yeah. Uh, no, you know what? They, they have, uh, they had a, they still have a very good music industry program. And when I was in high school, I was playing, I was playing in like bands. I was playing bass, uh, you know, I was playing in ska bands. I was playing in like these metal bands and stuff. I was doing all this kind of music. And I, I wanted to be like, you know, in the recording studio or like a record label person, you know, something that, like that. You remember that two years where ska was like, yeah, that king. was, that was, yeah, I was in a band at, right at that time. We were playing, <laughs> we were playing sold out clubs. It and us trombone players were like, hell yeah, this is yeah, our yeah. time again. I thought I was going to be like, you know, a rock star until my mom sort of laughed at me and said, you know, this is going to be over in two years. And it was. I, I introduced my just the other night. I introduced my wife to ska because I mentioned it in passing. She's like, what's that? And I was like, I was surprised it never hit Europe because most of the most of the things do. That's <laughs> most the of the music trends do. Oh, no, no problem. Man. She's coming to collect her. Hey, never mind. No. In, Swi- in Switzerland, people can just like walk into your house. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm in my I'm in my like office uh, practice room in the basement. Well, long long story short, about introducing my wife to ska, she wasn't impressed. I don't think. Um, but <laughs> anyway, sorry. So, what was the music industry? Right. What did that entail? I saw that. That that sounds interesting. Yeah, it was a music program. So I still had lessons with the. Uh, trombone professor who was at that time the principal trombonist in the Syracuse Symphony. Bill Harris. Bill Harris. Love that guy. You might know. Yeah, you do know. Cool guy. Learned a lot from him. And Never uh, never had a golf metaphor he he couldn't pass. My God. (laughs) And I knew nothing about golf. (laughs) (laughs) How did you know him, Sebastian? I went to a a summer trombone workshop that Haim was running and we had it at Syracuse once and he was one of the guest teachers. He was so positive and just like, you know what? You just got to keep it on the fairway. Just keep it on the fairway. Keep it on the fairway. Yeah, yeah. No, he was was really great. (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, I'll get maybe get back to him in a minute, but. The music industry thing was like music, like a, you know, a bachelor of music. But then with, we, we had to take like marketing classes. We had to take uh, recording studio technique. We had to do, I had to take economics classes and sort of just all, like all this general management stuff, accounting, all this stuff was in the program. So it was, it was really cool. Actually, uh, I learned re- a lot and did a few internships when I was there. And then decided, you know, I think junior year, 
I, I did an internship at a radio promotion office in Boston for one of the big record labels. And after seeing what it was like, then I decided that uh, <laughs> I actually didn't want to do this and I wanted to play music and not, you know, sell somebody else's music or whatever. Record what about other it did people. you not like? Uh, it's just, it was like, it was, it was top 40, like real pop stuff. And it was just kind of, it's just business. It's all about money and nobody cared about the music. And of course, I know, obviously that's not the case at like a small record label or something like that, or, you know, promoter or whatever. But, um, basically also with, with sort of, um, with seeing the business side of it and then also seeing the recording studio side, which I thought was really, really cool and almost went that way. I decided, yeah, I, I would much rather just be playing music. If I was able to do it, I'd love to do that. So then. Yeah. Those are some of the most valuable experiences you can have though, right? To, to firmly learn what you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what it was really. It was one summer in Boston at a, at this radio promoter place. And the second summer I was in, um, I actually was really lucky and got a, an internship at uh, Sony studios on 10th Ave. And that, I mean, that oh, was, yeah. that was cool. That was super cool. Like David Bowie was in the studios. Bjork was in the studios. Uh, who else I believe it's was Bjork. There? Oh, excuse me. Yes. Bjork. She was there. Um, What'd you do there? Ricky Martin. I, I was basically like cleaned up cables and, you know, t tore down sessions and help, help set things up and whatever they needed me to do, you know. What is that like? Uh gopher or first gopher. person gopher yeah i was a gopher i was a gopher but i got to sit in like on a a weather report live remastering session so like they would if you were cool and you just sat there and shut up and didn't bother the engineers they would let you watch all this stuff they you would they would let you watch them work and that was really really valuable experience and very cool i mean i have a lot of respect for that but uh it's still it's still recording somebody else's stuff you know and i i Ultimately, the number one goal was then to like, you know, be able to play, right? Be able to perform music. That I mean, that sounds like such an awesome education, though. I mean, we're, we're arguing for that all the time of, of what Syracuse is providing of like the modern music major is, I mean, everything you just listed is all stuff that we need, right? I mean, basically, I think, yeah, every music school needs to have some sort of uh, classes, some sort of, uh, you know, education curriculum in this direction, because come on, I mean, you can sit in the, in, in the practice room, play scales and, and which is obviously if you're going to do performances, you need to practice, right? You need to learn your stuff, but yeah, yeah it, it's kind of naive to get out of a big music conservatory or university or whatever, and have no idea about how things work. And of course, the, you know, you can't compare the, the modern, like what's happening now, you can't compare it to what was going on uh, uh, 20 years ago when I was in school. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it's completely in, different. In 20 years ago, you couldn't compare it to 20 years before that. And so yeah, before. it's changing like crazy all the time. Of course. I mean, the problem I see is like with, you know, we all teach. The problem I see is, you know, I, I say this to my students all the time. Like you need to diversify, you need to diversify, you need to find other skills, like to, you know, be able to hit the ground running and have marketable 
assets to your you know portfolio essentially but they don't want to listen to me because they look at me and like well you did it yeah yeah Yeah. but like what if i didn't do it what if what if yeah yeah i mean that's if you get like if you get like the orchestra job and stuff then all you have to do is practice right and you don't have to do anything else that's also not true but uh yeah no kidding and god forbid the the aspect of you could do fun things that make your soul happy like all these other recording project projects you have and creative ensembles and I know, yeah nick said diversify right i mean you, i think you have to diversify musically right and you have to you should be able to do different things and completely different things not just like you know mm-hmm. oh i can play the mozart symphony and i can play a, whatever yeah uh, a Brahms, a <laughs> yeah, a high. <laughs> I play once. I played in a in a Beethoven string quartet. Oh wow! Um, now, but I, but also, yeah, just be able to do. I mean, as a freelancer in New York, you know, you have to have also like you have to be your own manager, right? I mean, you have to you have to be able to do all these. You have to have people skills, you know. And, and where do you learn that? You know. Yeah, it, it all this Not stuff like a, it, on the docks, on the docks, <laughs> on the docks, <laughs> loading and unloading squid and on the docks. Yeah, late at night on the fish docks, you know. Yeah, in Rhode Island, that's right. <laughs> yeah, people are gonna hear this podcast, and it's gonna be like all these Man, college got... trombone players moving to Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah, docks. I know. And I'm gonna see somebody that's just gonna think I'm some kind of like squid gangster or something. <laughs> squid <laughs> we, gangster. If we could start it, up. can that please be the no. title of your next album? No, <laughs> maybe Squid Gangster. I would buy that. Squid or like an ensemble you play in. Eight tentacle uh, variations. Yeah, no idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll get back to you on that. Thanks. <laughs> Did you always want to live in New York City? Yeah, yeah. I, well, this, obviously, New York has that draw to it, especially with music, with many things, but especially with music. And <laughs> I, uh, when I was finishing up uh, Syracuse and, and I started auditioning for uh, like the different, you know, music conservatories and schools around to see which direction I might go in, where I would be accepted and all this stuff. And I was, I was accepted in a few and had a couple lessons with people and it came down to two places or yeah, two, yeah, two or three. But then, uh, I, my two B teacher at the time, David Taylor told me, why are you going to go there? There's nothing going on there. This is New York. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Come on, cat. Come on, man. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, Dave Taylor is quite the character, but he's got a point, you know, mm-hmm. and he was right because you move down to New York City and you've got this, the whole classical music scene, which obviously, you know, Nick's a part of, but you get, you know, it's the Met, the ballet, the, the Philharmonic. You got all the people coming through town in Carnegie. And then there's, the whole huge history of, uh, of big band and jazz and, and, and all the jazz clubs and all the Latin stuff uptown, all everything, everything. I mean, you know, big, big shows coming through, of course, the huge stuff in Madison Square Garden or whatever, but then like all kinds, everything, clubs, everything. So it's really, it's really surprising finding a New Yorker that thinks new york is such a great place it's just you never hear new yorkers 
tell tell anyone else how great a city it is. <laughs> are you are you speaking to me or Nick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking to, as someone who lived there for nine years and was that person for a little while. It's like, oh, there's no other. It's the clearly the best. But I mean, I was I was there for I was well, I wasn't there very long, so I, I could barely. I did, in fact, I did not consider myself a New Yorker. That that does not count. You know, I was there for a couple of years studying, but it was great. It was awesome. I mean, just so you you did Manhattan and Juilliard. Yeah, I went to Manhattan. I was there for a semester, and then <laughs> randomly got hired on a Broadway show that was touring. It was Oklahoma. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's my, like my first and only musical I've actually seen. Oh really? So yeah, I mean, I got I got pretty sick of hearing the. I was doing eight shows a week of you know where the wind comes sweeping down the plain mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the corn you'll, is as high like as, corn is as high as an elephant's eye and whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll like this, Justin. So our classmate at Juilliard, Kyle Covington, has a, a middle school production of Oklahoma where he sang either the lead or the second one, and I have in my possession a copy of that and. <laughs> It is beyond your wildest. Oh wait, wait. He was he was in middle school. Yes. And so he was singing the soprano part, right? I mean, no, he's singing the tenor part, but his voice hadn't changed yet. So it was like it was like way down in his range, and the whole time you hear this oh horrible God. middle school band, uh, and then you hear no, 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 no. It's beautiful, Nick. I'd pay money. I'd pay money to hear that. <laughs> I pay money to hear about maybe 15 seconds of it. That's maybe all I need. (laughs) (laughs) Were you you two there at the same time at Juilliard? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, man. So Uh, you remember? Kyle and and also Nick and myself. Yeah. We were there. And Ben Green, your colleague now. Ben is, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So after being in Manhattan school, then going out on the road, then coming back to Manhattan school, then I, I switched. I went down the street and went to Juilliard and then... Yeah, the, one of one of my colleagues in the orchestra here, uh, Ben Green, uh, we we were at Juilliard at the same time together in the same class with the same teacher. It was really it's really crazy how things uh, end up like that, worked out like that. Yeah, his is a little bit more roundabout how we became your colleague. I know, but that's for a different. Show. Yeah, yeah, he 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 yeah he went a few different places, but yeah. um, but uh. Also, has been living in Switzerland for a long time. He was working in Zurich at the Opera House, and then he, um, his his wife was working here, and then we had a free position, and he took the audition and won it. So it's pretty crazy, serendipitous. Yes. So what what you what you learn about music? What did you learn about yourself doing that tour in the middle of grad school? Um, you know, I think I was. I took this audition on a whim. Um, they, they, I saw some, it was advertised somewhere, you know, in one of these papers or something. I went down to some studio downtown. It was just like a couple of guys in there and, and ended up with this job. And I was excited because like I wanted to work, right? I wanted to do work as a musician. I wanted, and I was, it was like really my first actual paying gig and i was really excited about it and then the administration and taylor david taylor were like both kind of like hey uh you sure you're gonna do this and taylor said you know some of these guys they go out on the road and they never come back like like well (laughs) 
It's a very David Oklahoma, Taylor. Oklahoma is a dark that's, spiral. That's a, it's a very <laughs> David Taylor thing to say. Yeah, but but yeah. I, I but I also took note of that and think you know I thought to myself, all right, well, what am I doing here? You know, am I just going to go off and I'm, am I just going to take this gig and then kind of keep doing gigs and keep doing gigs? And and I I think I learned. Well, I was I was I was a bit wary of that, and the whole time on the road, I didn't want to fall into the trap of just touring and not working on myself. And so I, I was really practicing hard the whole time. And the gig actually, <laughs> it was a tenor trombone gig and I'm a bass trombone player. So I had, I brought my bass with me and, uh, pretty much, I think every day, except for maybe some, some of the hard travel days, every day I was, uh, practicing. And learning solo stuff and, and doing all kinds of exercises and excerpts and all that kind of thing. Was it truck and bus or was it like you park in a city? No, it was very luxurious. We were at least one week in every that's city. Nice. So I, I had I had time to to kind of focus. That's what the, that's what the tenor trombone gigs are like. I don't, you, know, <laughs> you guys aren't used to that. No, I'm not used to that, no. It's another, it's a whole other class. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, trombone life. I think, I think I learned, I learned how to be, and I was also, I mean, I was young. Uh, I must've been 23 on the tour. And I think I learned how to organize myself, you know, cause I was really like, that was, I was alone, you know, like in, in hotels and traveling and everybody else was way older, of course. And, you know, I, I learned how to organize myself and be, I mean, of course, if, if you're a music student, you have to be disciplined with your practice and everything. But I think I really learned how to stay focused and be disciplined. Well, I'm sure you, I mean, we can all speak to this now, but I'm sure that was a early lesson in like when we're, when I was in music, music school, going back to what you said kind of a little bit ago, that once you get a job, all you have to do is practice. And I think you, you realize pretty quickly that like, your time is more at a premium when you have a job and you have a life yeah. and, you know, and so I'm sure on the road you had to le learn that lesson pretty quick. Like if I don't get organized, the whole day is going to slip away like that. And, and I think that's exactly what Taylor meant. You know, when he said that to me, it's like, you know, you go out and what do you, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go out on this tour. And if basically I called him a couple weeks into the tour too. And he was like, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> but he was like he was prodigal son <laughs> he did he did check on me he, yeah he was like you know making sure that like yeah like what are you gonna do are you just gonna go on this tour and, and disappear and not do anything because you you didn't know how to organize yourself and, and get your get your together and yeah so that's uh, that was a big lesson i took from that and then i think the whole time during the winter i was making tapes like audition tapes to you know, the summer music festivals and stuff. And, uh, I did six months with the tour and then left and went to Aspen for the summer and then returned to New York city in the fall. So it was cool. I also get to see, you know, I get to see a few more States than just Rhode Island. So it was exciting. <laughs> like these places are huge and they don't have squid. What? Yeah. It's a Den Denver, Colorado. Right? Well, there's some alternatives. Yeah. Hey, when you came back from tour, is that when you, did you go back to MSM or? Uh, yes. I don't, you, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, 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 um, left the tour to go to the Aspen festival. 
Uh, and it's kind of long. It's like seven or eight weeks. Yeah. It's really a long one, but that was also great. Nine. Nine. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was nine. nine. Now it's seven or eight, but it used to be nine. It was, it was, yeah, it was, I remember it being very long. Um, but it was also, you know, it was exciting because then for me, that was also my first real sort of orchestral, uh, uh, summer music festival with a lot of people. The, The festival was very big, a lot of trombone players, great teachers. Um, I was, you know, you play for Per Brevig, he was out there at the time, and John Rojak, was, you had weekly lessons with him, that was really great for me. And then, after that summer, and then spending it with, like, your colleagues, you know, with, your, with people in the same boat as you. And Did that perhaps uh, open your mind to your first love with, like, mountains and uh, uh, totally. nature? And- yeah, totally. I'd never really... I mean... In Rhode Island, it's the ocean state, right? So the ocean is everywhere, but you never look at it, you know? And so if if you're from Rhode Island, you never go to the beach, you know? It's one of these things. Because mm-hmm. you just, it's always there. You just take it for granted. And then that first summer in, in Aspen, that was, you know, discovering hiking, discovering mountains. My mind was blown. Yeah. And then, well. It's a pretty awesome place. I, yeah. I went there probably just a couple of years before you, I think. Yeah. Wow, show off. <laughs> I was, so it yeah. seems like it took you a couple years longer to get yeah. in, <laughs> a couple, couple more a couple more tries at it i was i mean good for you good for you i, I was thanks i warm i warmed them up for you justin <laughs> thanks thanks um uh, actually funny enough ben my colleague here he was he was there at the same time you so. i think was that summer of 2003 yes yeah, so you went one year after. Basically, basically, all I'm hearing is that you need to go to Juilliard to be accepted there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the trombone professor happens to teach at Juilliard too. Oh, you went there too. Oh, you went there too. Oh, you went there too. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then anyway, uh, da, da, da. and then yeah, and so then after yeah, after Aspen, then I came back to MSM for a, for a year in 2004, right? And then you came to you tra- you came to Juilliard, but if I remember correctly, you came like you started your masters over again, right? Yeah, yeah. Because well, I, who cares about the masters? Honestly, I was trying to I was trying to become a professional player, I mm-hmm. and I wasn't really interested in what paper I had from where. So, you know, I maybe maybe I could have transferred some kind of credit or whatever, I, but I honestly I didn't even care. Because you know, I just wanted to have lessons and, and, you know, and play with people. And I'm, I mean this with respect to these two people, but I can't imagine two polar yeah. opposite people from Dave Taylor and Don Harwood. I was literally about to say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. In teaching style and personality. I mean, playing. Taylor is, is amazing and still is amazing. It's, it's really, it's mind blowing. Um, but, you know, lessons with him were intense. We're super intense but he you know he doesn't think like a trombone player he was you know asking me to do things and asking me questions why you play it like that why are you gonna what are you gonna do here what are you gonna do with it like real real very musical and um and demanding you know and um and and just he you know he just he gets you to think in different ways you know um playing excerpts for him, you'd be like, yeah, I dig that. Uh, here, man, use your tongue, you know, or like, you know, blow here, uh, play like this, play like that. And playing solos. What mouthpiece are you using? Man, we, yeah, we would, 
what, what mouthpiece is that? What bell is that? Oh, he's, he's an equipment freak too. Oh, and we yeah. would have lessons in his apartment and he's got like his, you know, his trombone room in there. And it's, it's absolutely stacked. Bells are literally stacked on top of each other. Like, like uh, traffic cones, you know, and boxes of tuning slides and boxes of mouthpieces. I mean, that's a little crazy. I'm, I'm not into that. I know. I, I'm happy if the thing works. I don't need, I don't need 20 different variations of a trombone. Well, you know, that's where, that's where the Venn diagram overlaps with Taylor and Harwood. Harwood was also an equipment. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. And then every bass trombone I've ever met is an equipment junkie. I don't think you are, Justin. I really don't. I I, I mean, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my shelf over here. There's only like 10 mouthpieces. That's not a lot, man. That's really, I got two trombones. I have two bass trombones behind me. They're like, they're essentially the same bass trombone. <laughs> I think I've I think I've lost or misplaced more m- mouthpieces than I currently have. I've certainly lent. <laughs> I yeah. think I've lent out to students or, or colleagues or whatever. I've lent at least four or five, and then somebody shows up years later. Oh, this is yours. I'm like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> are, are you sure? <laughs> I forgot I own that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna need that back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's gonna solve um, all my problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For a week. <laughs> I remember going, so I, I took the, I took the audition at Juilliard kind of for a change of scenery and also just, you know, obviously like this, there's a couple of teachers there who are sort of, sort of well-known in the trombone <laughs> community. Uh, I need a real change of scenery. I'm going to go to a conservatory a, a mile down the street. <laughs> it's 40 Excuse blocks. me? That is or, no, three no, wait. miles. It's six, 60 blocks. 60 yeah, so blocks. three Sorry. miles, sir. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, apologies. when I, when I told, when I told Taylor that I got in and I was thinking, well, I didn't tell him I was thinking about going. I told him I was going. He was like, oh, all right. I understand. It's a business decision. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally what he said. I love that guy, man. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, okay. You get it. (laughs) But you know, uh, I spent a year and a half with Taylor and it was, it was amazing. And I think he, he taught me to, you know, just think about things in a different way and it was incredibly inspiring. And then went down, down the street, three miles, as Nick says, mm-hmm. and, uh, totally different scene, totally different scene, you know, with Harwood, uh, who was great. Just, just cleaned up my playing basically. And, uh, the, the weekly classes with Alessi, you know, getting, getting screamed at. No, actually I was, I was lucky. I was a little, I was older. So I think he, he was kind of, and I was a bass trombone player. So he was, but ev- he liked everyone me. had their turn in the hot seat. Yeah, everyone definitely. had their, yeah. You, I'm sure there was something you got, he, he got a bug up his ass about. I'm sure. Yeah. Something. I was using weird positions for something. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. And he goes, why would you do that? What? Don't play that in fifth position. Why would you do that? Just too much risk. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Sorry, sir. Exactly. Break out the cat of nine tails. Uh, Never again. He's he's not wrong, though. He's not wrong when it comes to that. But, uh. He really is wrong. Yeah. But, uh, Um, yeah, it was cool. and And then you got to meet your, uh you know, your true inspiration, Nick Schwartz. Yes. <laughs> did I, did I not mention that at the beginning when I was talking about squid? I said, my, my, <laughs> my, 
<laughs> my true, true inspiration is Nick's, Nick's mullet. There. It's true. Yeah, a lot of it, people. It, it, it's kind of similar to similar to squid tentacles. Now I don't know what I'm talking about here. Were um, you okay? I'm going to save this interview here, and I'm going to like, step right in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at some point, I imagine this is when you know the audition started, and at some point you 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 felt the burn a little bit oh. to uh, try. You see what I did? Uh-huh. That's good. I, I like how I saw that my voice there. Was that a a pun intended? Yeah, yeah that was a <laughs> that that was a Switzerland pun. Oh man, very good. How many? So how many uh, were you were you taking a lot of auditions? Um, at that point, I think I maybe I'd taken two professional auditions, two or three. I'm not sure. Not not many. Not many. Hartford, I, I'm guessing. Hartford. I drove all the way up to like uh, Quebec City. Um, oh, I remember oh, yeah. that. that's yeah. one my pretty one. Right? I think that was my first first one ever. So of course I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Didn't make it very far. I drove very far, but uh yeah, no kidding. Um and then Hartford and then I th- I think it was those two for sure. I'm not sure if there was another one. Um but I had actually jumped in. I had played a gig for Taylor with uh with Daniel Schneider in the in the previous summer in Switzerland. So Taylor either, mm. either couldn't make the gig or didn't want to fly out for one week of work or whatever. And sent me instead, which was cool. Uh, great for me, obviously. And I, I hired you, Nick, actually to yes. cover me at, uh, yeah. at, a, at the NRO for a week. And that, that so <laughs> I covered for Justin the last week of NRO. So he can go do this gig in Switzerland. And, your roommate at NRO was Dan, Dan, Peck. Was Dan Peck. Yes. Who is now the tubist of New York City Ballet. So they talk about small, small world here. It's really yeah, crazy. It's and that's a- when I met Dan Peck too. He I remember he picked me up from the bus station and he's like, You gotta check this this stuff out. And it was like some totally like aleatoric jazz or something like that. Totally up Dan's alley. Dan, and yeah. Was like, that's his thing, man. He loves it. Yeah. He loves it. But so I'm so so you got to experience being in Switzerland and saw like oh this is a pretty beautiful place like, and, and I, yeah I was out so so I flew out here and you know Schneider picks me up from the airport and then we we go up to the the place where the 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 festival was and it was in the mountains of course and of you know the first couple of days was raining and I'm sitting in the hotel room practicing and it's just like terrible I couldn't see anything and what then was it the gig cleared up it was it was at the Gstaad festival which is one of the there's a few festivals here and it was, it's up in the mountains and the gig was, um, he had written a chamber opera and it was Casanova. And there was like, you know, one trombone, one trumpet, one horn, uh, a string quartet, a quintet with a bass player, a couple of woodwinds. There's, there was like probably, you know, 12, 13, 14 musicians and a lot to play, a lot of crazy stuff to play. Like, you know, that's his music really sort of, you know, uh, how do you describe it? Really rhythmical and a lot of jazz influence and, and a lot of really great stuff to play. It was a lot of fun. And I met a few of the musicians who worked here in the orchestras. And then the trumpet player told me that they would have, they were having a, a vacancy. They were going to have a, 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 an audition in the winter. And he's like, Hey man, why don't you come out? And I, th- I was like, oh, sure. Why not? And, you know, this place has got mountains. Seems pretty nice. 
And <laughs> uh, sure, I'll give it a shot. Why not? Chocolate, cheese, all that kind of good stuff, you know. Would you say you had had a, a burning desire? Oh, my God, Sebastian. Get back there. <laughs> Nick, can you yeah. save this interview? <laughs> yeah. I hate puns so freaking much. <laughs> I, I, will, I will think of more if you, if you encourage me. So, so, so tell people, I mean, a lot of people know what Zurich is. Um, right. Tell people about Bern. Yeah, Bern is, is the capital of Switzerland. But uh, it's it's really a it's not a big city. It's like a it's a town really. It's three hundred thousand people that live here, wow. and Zurich and Geneva are you know the sort of well known larger cities. They're you know million people roughly, uh, and uh, with the big airports and you know there's stuff going on. And Bern is one of those places that it was in the middle of the country. It is literally in the middle geographically of the country. And they didn't want, when the Swiss Confederation was getting together, they didn't want Zurich or Geneva to have all the power. So they put it in the middle and they put it in Bern. And Bern had, you know, sort of like a, well, now I'm not a history expert here, but, you know, they had a, a culture of being part of, the, the sort of aristocracy was in the in in the French part and also in the German part. So they were they were bilingual. Switzerland Switzerland is is um, there's four official languages here actually. It's a very really weird place. But you're more in the German part. But you're saying a lot of they, people speak a lot of speak a lot of people, especially historically, a lot of spe- uh, people spoke French here. So it was it was it just it was ideal for it was the ideal place for the capital. What are the four German, Italian, French, and what? Yeah, yeah. This it's a it's a language that's only spoken. Yeah, exactly. It's a language that's only spoken in a couple of mountain valleys, and it's a basically it's a mix between old Latin and German. Yeah, it's it's really 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 weird. Uh, This I've heard it. I've only heard it a handful of times. I have a friend in Bern who is from there and speaks it as his mother tongue. And you hear it and you think, you think like it sounds like Italian, but then there's all this weird stuff in there. And yeah, it's very weird. Wow. And it's still, it's still spoken. It's still spoken today. Uh, wow. So. so you fly over, go to Bern and you audition. You can just talk a little bit about the audition itself. Yeah, sure. So I got in the plane at JFK, which is, you know, not a, <laughs> not a small airport. And I bought a ticket to Bern. Because Bern does have an airport. It has this teeny little airport. I think there's, there's like one gate, you know. So I flew, I flew to Munich and then hopped on one of those little, like, you know, twin propeller planes. Mm-hmm. You fly out, it's a short flight, you know, an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. And then land in the airport, which is essentially like the cow field outside of Bern. And I just, you know, just kind of like step out of the plane. I'm like, man, where... Where am I? <laughs> and then, There's someone with an alphorn. And, <laughs> yeah. and I'm, there, I'm sitting there. I had two trombones with me because they, they, it was a bass trombone audition, but the, the contract here says that you could be required to play tenor. So I, there were two tenor trombone excerpts on the audition, and, uh, which I didn't end up playing, thankfully. Um, it would be a very difficult thing to do for me anyway. You're like... Th- Thanks for making me bring this trombone halfway across the world. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for making me schlep two trombones across the the ocean. 
I brought a contrabass Ramone to Spain for an audition and, and never ended up playing it. And they did not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, um, yeah, the audition was, was in the concert hall. And I don't know exactly anymore. There was maybe, uh, maybe like 25 people there, maybe 30 people there and from, from everywhere. You know, Swiss people, obviously, then people from all over Europe, French, Germans, and Italians, and whatever. So very, very mixed. And first round, behind a curtain, and it was, uh, you know, solo. It was New Orleans, and and a couple excerpts, or just one excerpt from uh, The Rose and Cavalier, I think. I can still mm. remember. And yeah, it was, I played the whole thing, and, you know, and I'm sitting around, went for a walk, yeah, as you do. And then, you know, I got through, I got through the second round. It was me and two other guys in the second round. And I think maybe me and one other guy in the, in the final round. And, uh, the, the, I remember the music director at the time asking me in the third round after the curtain came down, asking me to play this again, like this, and this again, like this excerpt, can you play it a bit more like that? Can you play it a bit more like this? And, and I think that is like, sir sir i don't speak german uh, he was fortunately he could speak english fortunately <laughs> and uh and i think that that was probably I, I mean i don't know exactly what you know they were hearing on the other side but that was certainly a factor in me getting the job that was uh it was very uh yeah i think that and that that was kind of maybe due to the my schooling at the time you know being playing for taylor playing for harwood playing for alessi playing for your colleagues and you know people asking you to do th this again like this and do this again like that i was able to change really easily and still play how i more or less how i wanted to play so you know you could still be yourself but adapt Did you answer playing. that question again but do it and cry maybe and get in touch with your sadness a little bit <laughs> sebastian likes <laughs> to make people cry I just want to see how flexible you could be in the moment. Um, I don't know if that was obvious. Uh, so, so, like, would you say, I mean, if you compared European auditions to American auditions, is are there a lot of similarities, save for, like, pretty much always starting with a, a solo? I, yeah, I think some of the main differences were is always in the first round, almost, almost always, uh, you play a solo. And that's because people want to hear you you know, uh, play something more than just a couple bars. It's more than just like immediate elimination. If you make a mistake with uh, one of the excerpts, um, they want to hear you as a musician. Uh, and that's probably because also another thing is that the committee, uh, it, it varies from orchestra to orchestra, but when the screen came down in, um, the last round of my audition, I was, I walked on stage and I was shocked because there were 50 people in the audience like and Whoa. yeah it was um <laughs> and in in our contracts if it's a if it's a wind or percussion audition or brass audition i'm required to be there and string players can attend if they want and if it's a string audi audition i can attend if i want and everybody has a vote so wow. yeah, yeah so the scream came down it, i mean I, at first i was shocked but then um actually kind of felt more comfortable because it was like playing a concert and uh it wasn't i 
I don't know. I mean, different people react in different ways. The, the screen makes me very nervous because it's just like the, the all hearing ear sitting behind the, <laughs> behind the screen. But when I'm playing for people, I can sort of remind myself that they're people too, uh, you know, they're understanding. So you, would you have wished like you would have, I could see it going either way. Like, do you kind of, if you would have known that beforehand, would that have been better or worse? I don't know. I think it's better that I didn't know it beforehand. There's, you know, just walking out there and being sort of pleasantly surprised. But uh, I would say that's also a major audition, uh, a major difference in the way auditions are done. And that's perhaps why they want to hear you play solo in the first round. Because, you know, there's, everybody's there. And, you know, string players and woodwind players maybe don't know a whole lot about the trombone excerpts or whatever. But they, they can understand when you're, you're playing a solo. And they can hear your, the basic qualities there. Yeah, in terms of like other major differences between how the auditions are run, I, I wouldn't say really, it's more or less the same. I think it's become, it's perhaps become more and more similar. And, mm. you know, it's the same excerpts almost everywhere. Whoever plays loudest wins. Yeah, exactly. Loud and fast. Um, and low. Yeah, low. Yeah, yeah. Loud and low. Yeah. Yeah. Fa fast and high. You know. You showed everyone that you were an American. Yes. <laughs> Very loud playing. Here's the um, contract. <laughs> so. The clarinet players are going to love you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Violists. Yeah. Wearing those giant heads. Yeah. So since being on the job, you, you've kind of uh, embarked on some side projects, uh, you know, with, with your, your solo, your solo CD that came out, your first one and you have two, right? Yes. Yes. The first one is an actual physical CD that was on a CD label. And the second project followed a few years later and I, I decided to do that one myself and that's purely online. Um, it's a lot cheaper. But, uh, What's that? Um, cheaper? What? Online? Yeah. No. It se it seems like your you know your musical journey has has had a lot of transience. Yes. To it, oh yes. oh my know? god, yes. dude. <laughs> yes, which is <clears throat> well, burning uh, a burning yeah, for... desire. Yeah. Uh, the should, should I explain that joke? Well, his group is called. Go ahead, you, you you go ahead, right, Sebastian? Do it. Well, the transient ensemble, yeah. which is awesome. It's two percussion, double bass, violin, mm -hmm. and bass trombone. That's correct. Yeah, which is awesome. Which is how, how did this idea come up? Well, um, I going back to like you know my interest in recording stuff and being in these recording studios and being interested in different kinds of music. I always wanted to do you know, my own ensemble and my own project. And um, I, personally, I, I found it myself hard to get into like a trombone and piano CD, regardless of how great the playing is. Um, it's still the same sound. Even if even, you know, of course you have different pieces and different repertoire, but it's still the sound of a trombone and a piano. And you can't, I don't know, I just can't listen to like an hour of that, you know. And so I, I wanted something a bit more colorful and um, chose the violin for, you know, higher 
like lyrical stuff. And the bass trombone was taking more of a melodic melody, you know, not always like super low or whatever, but I was trying to arrange stuff and have pieces written where I had a lot of melody and sort of playing tenor bass and, you know, and sort of in this range. And then percussion is so cool because you have so many colors possible because the one of the guys would play marimba and a vibraphone and the other guy would play a drum set or something a similar setup to a drum set so you've got rhythm and you've got harmony and you don't have a piano and uh and then and then the bass player and the bass player would be you know the bass role so the trombone would really be in a it was really in a melodic kind of role and then i found a few pieces that would work for that and i arranged a few pieces for it and then ended up asking a lot of uh composers to write things in people I knew from the U.S. and uh, local composers here in Switzerland. And I have to say, I, I, I uh, have introduced a lot of people to your first album. Ah, um, thank you. I think it's one of the greatest ones out there, i got to be honest. Well, thank you very much. That's a very, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> it, it's, um, I mean, it's, it, also, I think you win one for... One the greatest bass trombone, two percussion, double bass violin. <laughs> ensembles i have now ever I, heard now i see what you get hands down <laughs> oh yeah also i think you win for the coolest uh album cover that first one oh, i 100 percent agree man really that, cool album that cover. that's an, my favorite that's a trombone bell that i oh it's right over here <laughs> it's the it's an old con 6 6h i think and basically it was unlacquered and i left it in the case too long and just <laughs> that it got all that, that cool rotted on it. trombone you bell. You aged it. It's, Pati- call it there's patina. no Photoshop. It sounds classier. <laughs> patina. That's what it is. Or you can call it rotting. Rotting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the permanent transients album. That is that's the first album. Yeah. And yeah, that was I, I went um I went to a, a very, very good uh recording studio in uh in Stuttgart, closest Stuttgart in Germany. And, you know, when I, I wanted to do it correctly and, um, a couple of people recommended this place is really, it is one of the places to go and they, cause they know how to mic brass <coughs> instruments and they do a lot of jazz there and they do a lot of new music. And it was a studio album sound where it's, it's, there's not a lot of reverb. You're not playing in a church or something like that. It's really up close and you can mm-hmm. hear all the detail. And, uh, it was great. And working with the engineer there and, uh, and the editing afterwards and everything, it was really cool. That's rare, right? That like someone truly understands how to mic brass. Yes. And we spent in the beginning, we spent, um, yeah, a good, I mean, almost, almost an hour at the beginning of the session, getting everything set up and doing tests and really, you know, Finding changing the right like, like mic placement, we placement. Microphones. We use two different microphones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of those Neumann. I forget which number. If it was eighty-five or whatever, but the ninety-five or whatever ones. And, and it's they have the real deal. Those are vintage Neumann microphones. Um, and that was close up. And then you know a small diaphragm condenser microphone a little bit further away, which you know now I don't remember exactly what it was for all the. the recording dorks listening but man it was you know pl- placement is so important because you know it you, 
you put the mic, you could have the greatest mic in the world, but if it's in the middle of the bell, it's terrible. Or if it's across the room and picking up the room. All the, your, yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. So, so slightly off center is what you usually yeah, go for? Yeah, stop speaking directly into the microphone, Sebastian. That's really. Slightly <laughs> there off you center. Go. There you go. <laughs> slightly yeah. off center. Yeah. It was that must have cost you a pretty penny, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I financed it myself, but actually it was the studio wasn't that expensive it was it was a thousand a thousand a day and we packed it all into three days that's and not, not bad at not all at, not at once we I'm, did two I'm days i'm no mathematician but that's like definitely above like two thousand yeah it could be <laughs> god you are you are on something today sebastian <laughs> Okay. That's the thing, because like I feel there's like a, there's a reason people why people don't realize there's a reason why you play trombone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. That is a recurring theme here that we are not smart. <laughs> but like th- I, I've noticed a trend, like you know, in the past, people always just assumed studio rates are just astronomical. But with the preponderance of home recording now, so I feel like studios will yeah yeah, yeah. Will lower the prices. And a they bit. they had really I mean really really top stuff. It's from the software to the board to the mics, uh, everything is really professional. Wow, and that's cool. You know, it, you hear it, you really hear it. You hear the difference. Um, and they and they mastered it. Yes, which yeah, I could have maybe that done that differently, but uh, a would different you, engineer. You... But they they mastered it in house. Yeah. Was that required? No, but sort of you know desired. It's a lot of work. And then also I didn't, honestly, I was, I knew where to go to, to get it recorded, but I had no idea where to go to get it mastered. I mean, that's really, hmm. you know, no idea. You know? Yeah. You got to find someone that like. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of research. You it's trust. A, I, and, and honestly, I was so focused on the recording and the editing that I knew it had to be mastered, but by whom and, and where and when I, you know, I didn't, that's something I didn't put a lot of thought into, but the result I'm still, I'm still very happy with the result today. i mean you should be like anyone listening to this that hasn't heard it yet really spend some time because it is truly beautiful recording yeah. um and it was really exciting to hear and exciting to hear you and you've toured with the group and mm-hmm. i heard you here in pittsburgh mm-hmm. yeah um i took you to permantis yes. um at like 2 a.m or something it was pretty much yeah, it, it was it was the right time to be there <laughs> yeah it's like great papaya <laughs> new york you know yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, you, can't go, you can't go for like a, a sensible meal at 6 p.m. to yeah. It's papaya or permantis. <laughs> I was, yeah, with the, with the group, I've played at a couple of like, couple of festivals here in Switzerland. Um, and I've done a couple of like, uh, like, you know, throwing a group of musicians together for one show at like a trombone festival. I did that once in Germany. I did that once in Eastman for one of the ITF things. Mm. And that that's, it's possible, it's, but it's definitely difficult because they're starting from scratch and you don't know each other. And fortunately, I was able to take my group with all the guys that I know. I was able to take them on tour in the U.S. in 2019, I think, right? Yeah. yeah I, I'm, oh, the before times. This, it was yeah. the before times. The before, I remember we tried to get you to, to Manus. We tried to get you to Manus and it didn't work out. Yeah, I ended up. New York, I was there. I ended up doing something in at Manhattan School. Uh, right. George George helped me out. Uh, we did like a master class concert kind of thing. 
and then did a couple of sh- a couple no one did one show in Brooklyn at crap Brooklyn Bowl maybe yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> bam not, bam no Let's pick the big pick the big, biggest venue possible yeah. yeah um so one thing I wanted to talk about with the, this first album was um your recording of hundred bars for Tom Everett, which has become, I guess, a mainstay. I, I, I guess a mainstay in our repertoire. It's a little, uh, it's a little fringe, off, but yeah. 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 But one thing that you are, you achieved in that, I love your multiphonics. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The, 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 the has a lot of character in the singing part of it. Did you, did you practice that a lot? I, I mean, obviously you have to practice I that did. passage, but yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And, I mean, honestly, that was one I really stole that one from Taylor because Dave Taylor recorded it. And then I, uh, sorry about that, Dave, but I, I stole it because I really love the piece. And it's so cool, actually. It's 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 bongos, right? It's like three bongos and a bass drum on going crazy. Yeah. And, brrak, 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 and all this, you know, and singing, playing really low and singing really high. I did, I did have to practice it and I found, yeah. I had to do weird things with my voice to get the harmonics to work out. And that's the sound that you hear. That's always the, the problem with that one. It, it, it comes across as like, it doesn't usually sell, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And you, you definitely sold it. I remember you doing that at, at, in low brass class at Juilliard. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like, damn, any yeah. questions? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, it's, de- it's definitely my favorite bass trombone bongo multiphonic piece. See? For sure. See? God, number one, number one, Sebastian, my we're on a roll. <laughs> He's just, just Mr. Sassafras today. So, uh, you know, I wanted to get into some of your other side ventures, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that you, uh, play some broken cl- and, uh, yes. classical music. Yes. You, you, you yeah. play sack, butt since, since, um, and that was something I moved over here in, uh, 2006 for the job. And, um, figured out that, uh, that in Basel, which is one hour away, every, everything is small here. It's a one hour train mm-hmm. ride. There's the, the Scola Cantorum, uh, which is the famous, really one of the main schools. Basilensis. Basilensis. The Scola Cantorum. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in Latin. Great. Of course, it's an old music school. It's in Latin. But, uh, fortunately lessons were not in Latin, but, uh, it, they, it's, it's an hour away with great professors and, you know, a place that's really specializing in old music. And I loved when I was at Syracuse, actually one of the music history professors got us on to like, you know, okay, we did like Gregorian chant and okay for one week and yeah, boring, okay, interesting, but like whatever. And then we got into Renaissance music and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so mm-hmm. cool and wanted to do that. And then, you know, you play sort of these modern trombone quartet arrangements of these things and you, you don't really get it. You're just kind of like, whoa, whoa. you know, the sound's too big. And, right. I, you know, so I wanted to go and learn it correctly, or at least attempt to learn it correctly. And, uh, and I did a sort of a, you know, what do you call it? Not a, not a master's program, but just like, you know, I had lessons there like once a month. Professional development. That, one of these, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of these kind of programs. And, uh, yeah, through that, I got to meet a lot of, a lot of musicians doing a lot of, uh, Cornetto players. Um, the, the rare breed. They're, yeah. 
that's what's hard. The, what's the most challenging part about learning stack but for me personally when i first picked up the instrument i was trying to play it like a trombone like a modern bass trombone and just like just, just it was not working i mean i was missing a lot of stuff and just the sound wasn't right and i had to i just had to stop being stupid and uh <laughs> reduce the amount of energy i was putting into the thing and just sort of relax and it's small right compared to this yeah. you know compared to the trombones that we play today they're so small but they have such a an amazing sound so i just had to slow down the air and everything it was the airflow stuff and then i mean that was maybe like physically playing the trombone but then but then blending in the in the ensembles and stuff and listening to what you know you have to be of course you always have to be sensitive as a musician but it's another level of like uh listening to where you are in the music and a lot of emphasis on on text on uh the phrasing and and where to breathe and where not to breathe and you know that was it was very valuable lessons in ensemble playing and stuff and always always playing with singers it was, it'd be like you know you have two cornetti uh three trombones uh 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 uh, uh a, what do you call it a viol you know mm-hmm. and a violin or two violins and then and then a, a quartet of singers and you're all playing the same parts you're all playing together and that that's so rewarding it's really really fun now um were you were you learning on tenor sack but or did you go straight into bass sack i i went straight to bass and i did end up playing a bit of tenor um and you know it's it's interesting that that we the teacher who was there his name is Charles Toot Toot he's Dutch he is now retired uh, but he Toot, toot. that's perfect yes. for a brass it's player T O E T it's not Toot yeah but I was just joking like like poet toot, toot. poet I thought I thought you would like that Sebastian yes yeah. Oh, I have it written in my notes, just FYI. <laughs> if you want these whole notes about like your, about your me? whole life, just I, I might Yeah, to remind yourself. I might learn something. Put it on your wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That'd be that'd be that'd be good. So I don't forget. This was this was two thousand nine to two thousand eleven, by the way. I don't See, know. I did forget that. I had no idea. I was gonna <laughs> look at that. I was gonna say like two thousand eight, man. All right. You've been way off. Way off. At least, at least according to your your own bio. Yeah, but he was, uh, you know, we learned we uh, learned how to read the old notation, like you know, the mm, manuscript. Cool. That was that was definitely a challenge, and figuring out which like which block is is that a is that a half note or is that a whole note? Is this one beat or is that an eighth note or is that? A, it's very you know, uh, mind boggling. But once you get used to it, you can do it. It's sort of like learning you know tenor clef for bass trombone player. How often do you play tenor clef? Nick, me? Yeah, can you? Oh, can you read? That's a. You, they they got to pay extra for that. Okay, <laughs> alto, get it. <laughs> that's an extra five percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I only know how to play in four four. You know, so well, yeah. If it's five, it's just sort of one two Are there three other... four one two. You know, that's exactly. <laughs> that's the, it's just a long. That's four. all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard. It's that. like playing. Yeah, there's a video online of teaching how to play in seven eight and it's a one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven yeah um <laughs> very good Rough. so you you also have some balkan brass uh 
Oh, right? oh yeah, that's Helicon. Those gear, that was awesome. Uh, I I haven't played with them in a, in a while, but uh, I was I was playing with this group for a few years, um, and they were they're based they're all Swiss guys. They're based in Bern, and they were inspired by they weren't jazz players, but they were inspired by like the Balkan brass tradition. It's awesome, and it's so cool. It's really a lot of fun, and I was I was playing Helicon. And I mean, I'm not a valves player, but I could, I could play like boop, bop, beep, bop, beep, bop, you know, basically FC, 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 FC. Yeah. But you also, you need to play like the sets would be like an hour and a half, like nonstop. Like it was crazy. Yeah. But it was so much fun. I mean, forget like going into the orchestra the next day. Like no way. Like chops were destroyed. uh, Did you guys go to Gucha? No. I, I, I don't know if they would let like a, an imposter band in there. They, they now have like a foreign competition for, oh, for okay. non-Serbians. Yeah, they have a foreign category. Because, I mean, that is legendary. Hardcore bucket list. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, you know, my, my wife is Serbian. I yes, know, I know. So yeah. she's the first one who told me about it. And I was, have you been? Have you no, been to I've Gucha? been to Serbia. Yeah, I know. I've yeah, never yeah. been to Gucha, though. Okay. Like, um, it, I want to go so bad. It's, it, it just, I, I don't, how long is the festival? Like. It's only like three days a week. No, it's, it's really, it's pretty short, but it's like, it's become so popular because it's free. I mean, you have to pay for drinks and food and stuff like that, but there's, there's no admission costs and there's, there's one main stage, but most of the stuff, it seems is just kind of happening around town. Like bands just pop up and they're, that's what these bands, they, they, they do this for a living and they, they survive on tips, you know? Yeah. So they, they just show up in a square and play and they, you know, they're just trying to busk for money. I, so. I have to say it's pretty fun. We tried in the beginning as the, as the band developed, they, they had a lot more of like original compositions, but in the beginning they were doing like covers of the sort of traditional the Boban songs. Markovic and yeah, yeah, yeah. All those. And yeah. I was listening to the recordings and man, listen to those recordings. Like I, what I can't understand what exactly they're doing and how they it play. Doesn't like they, like, I, it doesn't make sense. It's crazy. It's really, really something that's such a different culture. And like, you know, we play it and we do it our way, but it's not, that's not how they play. I, it's almost like they wiggle the valves right, the entire time. And it sounds, but, but yeah. there's still like a pitch. It's yes. really odd. It, yeah. If you, if, rhythmically li- listening, listening to the never helicopter. heard. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. If somebody, yeah, exactly. If somebody's Whoa. out there listening to this, go check that out. Helicon can get some gnarly. I, I don't yeah. understand. Can get what some gnarly doing. stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really <laughs> impressive. Yeah, yeah. And it's hella well, controversial. No, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that was wow. pretty good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's my way of interjecting is just saying a terrible pun to distract you. One of my favorite things that I probably second to your to your album that I've sh- shared with people about you is your Instagram, which more people should see. Um, and a lot of your Instagram is a hobby you've taken on uh, once you've moved to Switzerland. Can you talk about that well, a little bit? Of course. Once you move to Switzerland, you know, uh, you just sort of end up spending a lot of time in the mountains. And when you spend a lot of time in the mountains, you see a lot of people flying around in these paragliding things. And so I was out here for the first couple of years, hiking around and skiing and just kept seeing these people fly. And I was like, man, I want to do that. 
<laughs> so then, uh, yeah, I went for a flight and signed up for lessons. And uh, yeah, I've been flying since 2010. And it's just... It looks absolutely stunning. It is absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, and you can put everything in a backpack. You walk up the mountain, you set it up, and you take off and you fly down. So... Uh, yeah, and, and pack are, it up. What are, I mean, what are the risks? Risks and uh, death? death. Are there like <laughs> <laughs> may cause? De- I mean, are there can there be unexpected things happen? Are you like, have to be you like check the wind every yes, day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's you. You don't want to mess around, um, and you don't just take off without knowing what's going on in the air with the weather and stuff like that. You have to be very, very careful, and that's a big part of the training. Uh, and I take regular regular safety courses and stuff. I mean, you, you have to be, you could easily die if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, uh, you know, that mountain just sort of got in your way or the, the, the <laughs> you're flying through the tree. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, you just have to be careful. That's all. A number of years ago, there was a, a, a hang glider, uh, or paraglider, right? What, what's the difference? Hang gliding. Hang gliding is the. Um, uh, it's where you. They call it delta over here. It looks. It's a. It's a wing that's above you, and you hang below mm-hmm. it on this bar. Right? Yeah. And hang gliding was around before paragliding. So yeah, and hang gliding, you're sort of you're you're really like you. You're sort of uh, your head is in front of you, and your feet are behind you, and you're flying through the air. In paragliding, you're sitting in a harness kind of thing. And it looks oh, right. it's, it's a modified, uh, it started off with um, parachutes, but then they modified the parachutes to make them fly further. Right. And not just fall. So I don't know if they're hang gliding or paragliding, but they were doing it in Bosnia. Mm-hmm. And they they didn't think about, well, where am I? Like, they, they thought, oh, there's a nice field. I can go land over there. Well, in the 90s, there was a little civil war there. Oh. And there's landmines all over Bosnia and, and all over ex-Yugoslavia. And this poor person, they landed on a freaking landmine. Oh, no. That's not a general flying hazard in Switzerland. <laughs> no, no. This was very unfortunate. I mean, they could have landed 10 feet in another direction. Oh, my God. been fine, you know. Do you, do you wear a parachute just in case? Uh, in, just kind of I, like... in the harness, I have a, a reserve emergency parachute in case, okay. because you, the thing can collapse, the lines can get tangled. And if you start going into like a spin that gets out of control, uh, then you, you have to throw your reserve. Otherwise, yeah, Death. you're not going to have a nice landing. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's such a beautiful hobby and, and, you've created these these videos along with it which are, are really cool and then to to make our podcast look like the most boring thing possible you you, you started <laughs> having an interview series up there with musicians and, and a lot of trombonists and i've already talked to you about this it's like my absolute dream to do that with you sometime next come over in switzerland I mean, yeah. oh, we can do a how, so we can do the the the, yeah. the trombone re- retreat podcast from the air you know but, oh my uh, god! I mean, I'm a little scared of heights. So, I, I am too. I, I was, actually, I want to try. I am it. too. No, I'm not kidding. I, really? I can't. I can't stand on like the edge of a building or a cliff. I get like weak, shaky yeah. knees. But I, I have no yeah, problem yeah, yeah. flying. It's because you trust the interesting. Yeah, you trust the equipment. But you know, it was. It's so so beautiful, and to experience like everything from the bird's eye's perspective, you're really you're above. You're you're flying. You are flying above the mountains and forests and all that stuff. And so later on, I, I um, got the license here to take passengers with me, uh, which was pretty intense. 
Uh, it's a lot of training. And then, because, you know, I wanted to share the experience. And it's a beautiful thing to go flying with your friends and, uh, or even, you know, just, just random people, random passengers come with me and they have a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's such a nice experience, as I said. And then I had the idea to, you know, there's a lot of musicians around Switzerland. There's all these orchestras, all these conservatories, all this music going on. And I thought, why not start an interview series and start taking up people with me? So now I've been with a, a handful of, of people and there's a couple more coming out. I need to finish the editing, but, uh, <laughs> but one of, one of the, the first, <laughs> that doesn't take long the first, the first one was, uh, Ian, Ian Bousfield, who, mm-hmm. if you play the trombone, you may have heard of him. Um, David Bruchet. One guy brought up it. Yeah. Oh, did Mar- Martin Shippers bring he, his? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah, yeah. He brought his. He brought his, his orange pea bone up, and uh, we very Dutch of him. Never orange we, one. That's exactly exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he said that too. <laughs> and Martin came with me. Um, my colleague. Uh, everyone knows him as Tico. His name is Vicente. Vicente. Uh, oh, he sounds yeah. Great. And it, dude, you should he. You should listen to that. He's playing P-Bone and he's killing it. And he's in a paraglider. I was sitting behind him just thinking, dude, what? What is wrong with you? How can you do this? He, the dude has just no fear. He's an amazing player. Amazing. I heard the Sibelius 7 with him. I think, I it's, think it was yeah, yeah. It's really, unbelievable. really nice. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really nice. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, lucky to work with some of these guys over here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, when so last question about hang gliding when you paragliding. do it paragliding. paragliding when you when you how long is a typical? Uh, if there's if there's nothing going on, in, uh, if it's a quiet day, so to speak, um, could be fifteen minutes. You know, it depends it depends where you start from and where you're going. But if if you have uh, thermals and uh, basically, you know, warm air that's rising. You try to find it and you try to circle around and stay up as long as possible. So, I mean, I've flown for over three hours with people that, yeah, oh, wow. not with people. I've flown for an hour with people. It's pretty, it's pretty long. It's pretty intense, you know, uh, like, yeah, like, you must be tired by that. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's a lot of concentration. A lot of core. A lot of, co- no, no, no. It's pretty easy. I mean, physically. So it's not no, physically taxing. No, I mean, okay maybe it's it's more it's more the concentration because you know you're trying not to die because we <laughs> really weren't made to, to fly so uh, i'm getting less excited about this no, it, it's really nice it's really beautiful yeah no but then it looks incredible but uh it's also funny to have the interview series with people because you don't know how people are going to react you know until you're in the air and then i'm trying to so <laughs> it's kind of challenging because i'm trying to fly and not get both of us killed and um ask questions and listen to what the people are saying and then react and you know keep Mm. it a uh, keep the actual interview material as interesting as possible it's it's quite a challenge it's for me it's really fun and then there's the there's always the technical issues where you bring up you bring up uh, all the GoPros and all your cameras and microphones and stuff, and then you realize that you forgot one of the SD cards. <clears throat> or not. Or you, that long hike. Or you, just, or you just charged all your batteries before leaving, and then you put it in, and suddenly one of the microphones says it has no battery. Hey, man. 
You need like a producer like, flying yeah, a separate one right behind like, you. Yeah, like 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 as if flying wasn't complicated enough, you know. So. Right. <laughs> I see the beautiful part about that being that as far as from an interviewer's perspective, that puts your, your guest in such a, a present, vulnerable yes. place. Yes, it does. Def- definitely does. And then you get really honest answers to stuff. And it's hard. I mean, they're they're like, it's a lot to take in. They're sitting, you know, a couple hundred feet off the ground. And then I'm just throwing questions at them in there, you know. And some 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 guests were definitely nervous. And that, that Chris Davis seemed nervous. Great. Chris was nervous. Yeah. yeah. The way that we got going, you know, and then we kinda he Right. You know, but this is this is this adrenaline involved for sure. Yeah. Well, if you took if you took me, we can get down the mountain in probably about three and a half minutes. Yeah, going twice as fast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just you're just pushing up like, oh, come yeah, like, on! We got to do it in the winter and put your skis on. Let me take off take off with the skis. Oh, you can do that what? too. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like that sounds that's like awesome. in uh, the, they did that in a Bond movie, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen them all. There's definitely all the ski chase scenes, but I think they did yeah, one, yeah. right? They did one with they did, some kind yeah. of wings uh, or speed flyers or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Like small shoots with. Ski. Are you actually, are you actually like a secret agent because of all your like ability to travel as an artist? I have um, all these skills you. Develop? Well, I have several passports here and uh, duplicates, mm. and and I have all my contacts in the fishing industry. Don't forget. Yeah. Don't forget, don't forget he's, <laughs> he's a <true>. squidsman. <laughs> okay, we need to move to our rapid fire All right. uh, section. Mr. All right, what do you got? Okay, uh, uh, we do this at the end of every episode. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Keep doing what you're doing. It worked out. Worked out. Mm-hmm. Way to crush yes. it, yeah. young yes. Justin. Later, if you if you give it, you know, twenty eight year old self, that would be different. But eighteen year old self, very good. What would you say to your twenty eight year old self? Stop effing around. <laughs> <laughs> so you just waited till later to have yeah, adolescent yeah, 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 phase. Yeah, if you could be any type of musician, uh, other than a trombonist, what would it be? Uh, you mean like instrument, or you mean style? Uh, Let's let's go style, style actually. Jazz. Yeah. Absolutely. What is the weirdest part? And I know I know this culture well um from from an ex uh, past relationship, but what what is the weirdest part about living in Switzerland? Oh. Something that Americans wouldn't expect. Uh, uh, yeah. Um you can get fined if you don't sort your garbage correctly. Oh, so, oh man. I Don't even get me started. It's rules on top of rules. Right? Oh my God. The rules. Yeah, the rules. The rules. And no flexibility. That's, that's the, that's not exactly true. I'm being hard, but yeah. Bastards. What's the best part about living in Switzerland? Dude, the cheese. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> no, that, Cheese, cheese, chocolate, cheese. Yeah, 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 cheese mountains. One of those. Take your, take your pick. Mount. Wait. Okay. Cheese or mountain made of cheese? Ma- wait, wait. All right. Wait, wait. Hold on. Let's color me intrigued. Mountain cheese. There we. That's the best thing about. Mm. Oh, the cheese from the mountains. Is it? Is it rusty? What? What's no, the, it's the, fresh, like the peasant rusty. food? Rusty. 
That's like the where it's just basically like potatoes, right? Yeah, it's 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 like potatoes, cheese, hash browns. It's hash browns. Yeah, it's hash browns. It's it's so heavy, but it would get you through a winter. Uh, If they cover it in egg and and bacon stuff, it's pretty. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that down at the Waffle House. It'll keep you warm. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have Waffle House over here. (laughs) Don't need it. What is the best compliment you can give yourself? Uh, you're a good human being. Hmm. That's a great one. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I disagree, <laughs> but you know, cool. No, just kidding. <laughs> you said um, good. <laughs> what is, yeah. Um, if there was a billboard that the entire world could see and you could write anything on it, what would it say? Don't be a jerk. On that, on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wanted to throw in one more thing that we just didn't mention is that you, you, sure. you are, I don't, I don't know your status there, uh, but you play frequently with Budapest festival. Oh yes. Orchestra. Yeah. 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 Cool. So if you, if Budapest festival is coming to your town, uh, look for Mr. Clark. Yeah. At the moment it's been a bit less. They, it was, yeah. I'm, but I'm still occasionally going and helping out. Cool. Maybe you should boot a pester them more often to go play. First of all, it's pest, not pest. That's that's true. It's Budapest. What a Nick, ask your question. Uh that's sorry, what, a, a, what a crazy great group of musicians that is. I know it's amazing. It's oh, so it was so much fun. Yeah. The the times I see you here in New York, it's it's it was always with, yeah, it was with them, yeah, yeah, Budapest Festival yeah. in town. Yeah. What is something that young musicians students need to be doing more of yeah that man i would say the thing that i think a lot of students that i I know i can't say obviously i can't say for everybody but the thing that i think people should do more of and the most of is, is go to live concerts and listen to and not just the classical concerts but just go to as many concerts as possible yeah i think that's I think that's, I mean, I need to go to more concerts and I think this, I've learned, I learned so much just by listening than, you know, than in a practice room. You know what I mean? That's one of the, I think, I think that's one of the best parts about living in New York. But one, if you're a musician in New York, you miss most of the stuff because you're playing. You're playing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So when I do get opportunities, it's great. As a student. Yeah. And I mean, New York, you're spoiled. Because in a of big course. city like London, New York, or whatever, you know, Berlin or something, there's just so much music come through. But you can still find great performances in where, maybe, of course. Uh, you know, maybe it's a bit hard if you're in the middle of, you know, Montana, but uh, there's still going to be something. It's still going to be something. Yeah. But like in Boston or Jacksonville. One of those terrible cities. I feel bad now because I really do cultural, have a lot of good friends in Boston. This is a cultural void. Right. <laughs> you just have a lot of hate in your heart. I never said it was a. I never said there was no culture in Boston <laughs> or L.A. or Jackson. Edit it to make it make it sound like <laughs> you're, at least you're in the good. Um, yeah, you, just along the lines of your last answer, I, you know, Manus. I don't know if you know this. Manus is downtown now. It's in, in the village. I did. Yeah, where the new school. Yeah, it's it's down where the built, campus right, and the yeah. school is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on 13th and 6th Avenue. So you could like 
do a couple of somersaults and you'd be at the village vanguard i can't tell you how many students i have that have never gone uh, to the man, vanguard. i regularly went Stupid. regularly went to the village vanguard and the monday night it's amazing vanguard band. it's amazing I mean, and also like, checking out all the it's top it's world class musicians and playing coming through there every week you know yeah of course there's no excuse I mean, even if you didn't even care about who was playing that week, just it doesn't matter the history, yeah. like going in there and being like, this is the, I heard so many of my favorite albums of my childhood that were recorded in this spot. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Go to, you can go to smalls, you can go to blue note, you can go to, and that, that's not even talking about the, the smaller clubs that are just like mm-hmm. in a random bar. Just yeah. Like that's also bands. some of the coolest shows I think I saw in New York were those random, random bar shows where you, I, that was a couple of times I remember going somewhere and I didn't even know there was going to be music and then just seeing like a band and I was like, what? You guys yeah, are right. amazing. You know, just being or surprised you, constantly. I always tell my students to go to Fat Cat too. Yeah, Fat Cat. I played yeah. a couple you of times. You can go, times. Play, go play ping pong, listen to a big band. It's I, awesome. I played in some yeah. random big bands there, yeah, filling in for Max and stuff. And I've been there a yeah. number of times. Oh, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It is. It really is. Well, speaking of awesome, you're awesome, you can, and you are one of my favorite trombonists. I'm not kidding. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for having for, uh, me. Working this yeah, out. It's been it's, Absolutely. it's very cool. I'm very honored to be on the Squid Podcast, on the Fish. fish. <laughs> this this <laughs> is true Squid Games. Conspiracy, <laughs> true crime Squid trombone. Mixed with a little bit of Swiss cheese. Yeah, there you go. Next time you're in New York, I'll take you out for a plate of calamari. Excellent, excellent. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, thanks, Justin. Great, thanks, right. guys. Thanks, man. Hey, Sebastian, do you know what Justin Clark's favorite TV show is? What? Squid Game. I thought it was going to be Bear Notice. Oh, no, but in all seriousness, all night. I uh, know you can. You got you got those dad jokes locked and loaded. But no, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I mean, there are a few ba- bass Ramon CDs that I actively listen to on a regular basis, and I can tell you honestly, Justin's is one of like one <laughs> that I listen to all the time. That's not true. I listen to a couple, but Justin's CD is so innovative, and it, it's just it's it's a reflection of of who he is as an artist and he truly is a fantastic musician and a great guy so I'm, I'm I'm glad we got him on here yeah he's the type of artist you root for right he absolutely you know you see the you see the clear dave taylor influences and you support someone that's creating art you know it's those are the albums i think you and i are both drawn to is is someone that's transcending that we're playing the trombone and just creating something beautiful that could connect with anyone and not just trying to, you know, impress other trombone players, for example. I'm a big fan of his, so anyone that ever gets a chance to hear his album or hear him live or take take the opportunity for sure and reach out to him. Find, find watch his uh his his mini hang gliding video interview series. It's very, very cool. I just saw one recently where he took someone up, but they like broke their foot right when they're taken off. And I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do it as much anymore. Yeah. There's obviously, I mean, I, I think it's redundant to say, but there's some risks involved with paragliding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still going to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's obviously like 
an amazing experience, especially in the Alps. I mean, could you imagine? It's, it's so beautiful. With his CD, uh, I just want to mention one thing. One thing I, I found so interesting, it goes back to our, our time in school together, and it, it connects to my current life, uh, which I'll get into in a second. He he recorded an aria from Monteverdi's L'Orfeo, and if I remember correctly, he recorded it in a mute, maybe a straight mute. Maybe, yeah. maybe it didn't. Wow. It's off the top of my head, but either way, just recording, recording that, it, it's like so... It's such on on the surface simple music, but man, I mean, he's singing. He really is singing, and it's uh, it's just beautiful. And that's that's one of the tracks on that album that I just go back to because it's like, man, he's he's got technique for days. He can play the Schneider, he can play, you know, all over the horn. But it's the simple stuff that sells me, as as you know, I'm a uh, as Randy Hawes referred to himself. Uh, uh, and it resonates with me. I'm a I'm an adagio man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Randy Randy Haas came and gave a recital at the retreat. We may have mentioned this before. It was just like you know I really like adagios. So his entire recital was just like all middle movements and <laughs> slow things, and we loved it because it was because it's it Randy Haas. Yeah, I mean you listen. It's like he, <laughs> he can play a scale, and it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, it's, it's him. Ju- Justin just showed his versatility in that album. And um, what I was going to say is in school he gave this recital that wasn't like part of his degree. It was just like a separate recital. And he did it with Dan Peck. That's the connection to my current life. Dan Peck's the tubist in the ballet orchestra. And I have the pleasure of sitting next to him every day. One of the, in my opinion, great tuba players of our time, of all time. And the recital was bass tremone, tuba, and pedal steel guitar. And Mm, that's awesome. They played like, Everything from like exploratory, like freeform, not jazz, but just kind of like freeform uh, improv to, you know, 17th century madrigals on these. And they at one point switched over to melodicas and played on played on melodicas. And in the in the intermission, they had a, a DJ there that just created like ambient sound. So it was like a total immersive experience. And. It was very memorable. It just stuck with me, the whole recital. It, it really felt like something so different, but really well executed. That's Justin. That's Justin. He has this amazing voice, and I'm glad that he was brave enough to put out some albums showing showing his skills. There's room for that. There's so much room for that, of, of for creativity, and it's not like being different for different sakes it's different and unique but beautiful and saying something and i think that's what gets lost sometimes so so basically justin clark sucks and we don't like him yeah i'm curious if you saw this i haven't talked to you about this did you see the washington post put out their top 10 classical performances of the year no and there at number seven is our good friend david taylor Oh, oh, I did see this. Yeah. So I want to read it real quick. Titled A Wicked New Look. One of the most unique, which is a gentle way of saying deeply weird, evenings of the year was the post-classical ensembles A Wicked New Look, which presented a captivating concert at the Kennedy Center of miniaturized Mahler favorites, custom cut to accommodate the lowing, glowing bass trombone of classical experimentalist David Taylor. Under conductor Angel Gil Ordonez, the ensemble Riley turned the composer's natural and psychological landscapes inside out. 
with Taylor's trombone lending the music something between sonic slapstick and brute pathos. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow, that's that's a good review. <laughs> I mean, that's such a big deal for the trombone world for Dave Taylor to get that sort of attention in the Washington Post. That is amazing. I, I texted him the other day. I just sent the text. I was like, sonic slapstick and brute pathos <laughs> he's like yeah i like the, i like the the lowing glowing bass trombone yeah that's a good one i'm gonna i'm gonna try to incorporate that in my speech yeah so go check out his podcast if you haven't heard it yet he's he, we're, we're big fans and he's just speaking of being creative so i did something super cool a couple mornings ago yeah you did the event, I don't think I talked to you about it. I posted a little bit about it. So I've been playing with the, the Pittsburgh Symphony this month and l- kind of with like a week's notice, they usually do this thing where they find a way to go surprise the Pittsburgh Steelers players at like an early morning practice with some holiday music. And in the past, it had been a string quartet. And so they asked Jim Nova if we would put together a, a trombone quartet. And we put together a low brass quintet it was four of us. It was me, Jim Nova, Jeff D, Cooper Cromwell, Whitley, one of the fellows. And John DeCesar was in town, the two player of the Seattle Symphony. Johnny and D. I'll admit, Johnny D, he's awesome. Super sub. I have to admit, I'm a Cowboys fan. But it was kind of a, a crazy, surreal experience. So, you know, I pull into the, the player's parking lot, right? And my 2011 Jetta is looking really <laughs> I'm literally pulling into the gate and the Volkswagen logo is knocked out because a policeman ran into it. it wasn't my fault that's another story and I'm pulling it and there's literally a Lamborghini like SUV I guess they make those now like pulling in right next to me I was like oh Jesus and so I, I get like one of the last parking spots and some of the nicest cars I've ever seen so I go in with my my new Wiseman case so it made me feel a little cooler and <laughs> you know everyone was really cool and they checked us in they gave us our own room and we got like Steelers gear to put on and then yeah we went and played we played for like 20-30 minutes they introduced us they made uh, the rookies like the current one of the current first round picks Kenny Pickett was their quarterback had to come play sleigh bells with us while we played sleigh ride how was his time <laughs> and like his he was he was pretty solid he was pretty solid. We, they had to teach him the technique, and like one of like the offensive linemen had to play the the slapstick, you know, and we like practiced it, and he got it, and then we did it in the song, and he totally missed it, and the whole team just like laughed at him, made fun of him. <laughs> it was it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, but like you know, you walk in. And you go upstairs, and there's six Super Bowl trophies just staring at you. And oh you're like, my okay. God, that's so amazing. And it's it's ridiculous. And I, and I had forgotten my phone in the dressing room, so I was like running back. And in the hallways, Mike Tomlin, the head coach, like all by himself, he's like, hey, man, how you doing? It's like, hi. Oh my God, um, that's amazing. That's the type of guy, like, man, that's a leader, man. You just, he walks into a room and he just, he has this presence and just, he shook my hand twice. He looks you right in the eye and he's like right there present and like, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We got a picture with him. I I shook the hand of this older gentleman who's, who seemed like an important person 
And then I turned to, turned to John. I was like, that's, that's the owner, isn't it? He's like, yeah. Oh my <laughs> so it's God. It's like the billionaire Art Rooney. <laughs> so we took a photo and I'm like standing right in the middle of Art Rooney, billionaire, you know, Mike Tomlin, billionaire. And then this trombonist right in the middle. It's, <laughs> It was fun. It's weird. 8 a.m., man. 8 a.m., as you know, during holiday season for musician feels like the middle of the night. So that was that was something warming up at 630 in the morning. But it was it was it was a really cool experience. That's like uh, when when Easter comes along, that 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 first service on Easter always feels uh, a bit rough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially if you stay up too late the night before that can be. Uh, definitely a challenge. You, you know what was um, probably going through their heads w- when they saw you pulling in your 2011 Jetta? They were probably <laughs> like, oh, there's the backup kicker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. Kick- kickers make way more money than that. I said the backup kicker. I always, I always said like a dream job. Well, first, they don't have backup kickers. But the, the I know. The dream it's, job. It's a joke, Sebastian. <laughs> I'm from Texas. We don't joke about tackle football. Huck em, chuck em football. I always said that if you had a kid, the smartest thing to do would would be to raise him to be a punter. Because who's who's practicing punting at like age eight? You get him, you get him a good coach, like an ex NFL guy or something, and you you just get him into it, and you just dominate. You dominate at the middle school level. You dominate at the high school level. You get a big scholarship, and then it's like the safest job in the NFL. You get paid well. Not as much competition as as like something else. So that that's my parenting tip from Sebastian with no kids. Well, or you could, you, as you know, my cousin was uh, he was an NFL quarterback. That's right. But Rick Meyer, he was uh, starting quarterback for the for Notre Dame in college, and he was second overall pick in like '93, I want to say, and he went to the Seahawks had a great rookie year and then they kind of through tape found out his uh weakness in his in his game and every team exploited it and this is where he got a really safe job because he spent the next 10 years or so of his career more than that more than that actually 15 years as like a second and third string quarterback bouncing around from that's the dream yeah so he he got paid over a million dollars a year to never get his uh, jersey dirty. <laughs> and now Thank he very much. Now he owns a winery in Napa Valley. Yeah, and like people dogged on him for being, you know, a high draft pick, whatever. And yeah, I mean, it, it, if someone I, gave me crap about that, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I'm still a millionaire. What would you do today? <laughs> well, people in my family would feel bad. Oh, little Ricky, he, you know, he he's not doing well in the NFL, and it's like. Why do you feel bad for him? He's making seven figures. <laughs> and and like, he's not going to he, have he's a success. The rest of his life. Exactly. He's a success. He can, he, he'll be able to walk when he's 50 years old. <laughs> that being said, we don't say money solves all your problems and is the only key to happiness, but you know what we mean? Yeah. I think all musicians know, know that fact. Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah. I got in it for money. Didn't you? Oh yeah, well, money and the women, of course. That's, you know, because it's like you play the trombone, clutch my pearls. What? <laughs> yeah, that's the age usually. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Uh, 
If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend. And friends can be non-trombonists. I, I, I'm shocked how many non-trombonists listen to this and, and we're, we're flattered. Non-musicians, because, I mean, it's universal life stories that kind of apply to everyone. I guess that's redundant. Universal life stories is the exact same thing as applying to everyone. And subscribe everywhere you download your podcast. Also, please consider being a patron on patreon.com slash trombone retreat and also leaving us a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify as it helps us quite a bit. A special thank you to Houghton Horns at HoughtonHorns.com for being a seasoned sponsor. Follow us at Trombone Retreat on all the social medias and our website, TromboneRetreat.com, where you can also join our mailing list. On Instagram, follow Nick Schwartz at BassTrombone444 and myself at JS.Vera. And remember, when that Arctic blast is coming for you, put on your Christmas jammies. Chase down that Yeti with a thermos full of frothy eggnog and holiday cheer for all the boys and girls to hear. Go retreat yourself. Retreat thine self.